All right, so we also have some coming events. Uh, Heavenly Immersion. Leticia is having a, a women's conference. It's February 21st and 22nd. You can uh, find out more detail about it on the Ecclesia Rios Facebook page, correct? Okay, good. So, uh, ladies, that's coming up for you. All right, so we have another event coming, and this one is the Restoration of All Things Conference. Uh, it's going to be hosted here at Joyland. This one is March 18th through the 22nd, and um, it's an interactive conference to explore the impact of the restoration of all things. There's a bunch of information online uh, with um, uh, Gil and Adina's website. Uh, the location is going to be here at Joyland and online, and there is limited seating, as you know, because there's a lot of people who want to know about this. Nancy's going to be teaching there. Uh, Gil and Adina are going to be teaching there. Uh, Mike Parsons, Shannon, Lindy. Is it, what's Lindy's last name? Lindy Strong and um, me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, me. So anyway, that's going to be here. We had a fun thing happen uh, on our Thursday ascension. Um, a girl named Linda, I can't remember her last name. Anyway, she said she and her husband were coming. They went ahead and they signed up. They're coming up from Texas, and they're just excited about being a part of it. So it's going to give us a chance to meet face to face some of the people that we have spread out ascensions over. And that's that was on a global ascension. Nancy, it was pretty fun. Okay, we have another event coming. And this is uh, at the stage where we just want you to save the date, okay? And it's three days with Dan Moeller. So if you know who Dan is, he's amazing. And we're very, very fortunate to have him. I think the Lord spoke to him about coming. So that's May 15th, 16th, and 17th. So May 15th, 16th, and 17th. But uh, it's going to be good. And to the best of my knowledge, this is the only time Dan's going to be in the region in a long time. So... Uh, I really encourage you guys to think about that date. We'll have more details coming out as we get a little bit more uh, deeply into the organization promotion of it. But if you haven't seen Dan, just remember how to spell his last name and go look on online. Uh, he, he is the guy. My first encounter with Dan was a friend of mine. Uh, I, I somehow got one of his CDs, and I was listening to it on the way to a Bible study down in Springs. And then down in that Bible study, a friend gave me the CD. And uh, I'd ar- I already had it, and I was halfway listening through it, but I just thought, well, that's interesting, you know, the Lord kind of emphasizing it. So I-, I kept listening on the way home, and by the time I got home that night, I pulled, I used to have a garage I could put uh, my cars in. That was amazing thinking back. I-, I pulled my Jeep into the garage. The thing was playing on the stereo, and I kept it playing. It was near the end, about 15 minutes left. I got out on my out of my car, kept the door on, got on my knees, and just begged God to know him the way this guy knew him. It was amazing. So Dan is a, a real resource, and there's people here that have been around him and can testify to that. So anyway, that one's coming up, and this is tonight. So tonight, it's a fifth Friday. We had talked about this a little before, but I, I do want to be honest with you. I'm trying to learn how to listen to the Lord for stuff, and so there are times when when the Lord doesn't confirm anything that I'm supposed to share. And that is the hardest thing for me because I have to go back and say, well, Lord, what, what do you want to do? I mean, because I can default to just teaching something, you know. And so uh, I'm actually pretty excited about this. And it's also woven in a little bit with what we did last week on Tuesday night, not this Tuesday, but the week before. We took the time on our Tuesday group to collect some questions uh, that we wanted to organize the Tuesday studies around. And then that began to resonate with me because one of the commitments I had made 
coming into 2020 is that I wanted to get some teaching organized and out so that I knew where I was going, you knew where I was going, and all that kind of stuff. So I think this is going to play in. The reason that we're uh, asking you to write down your question on a card is it'll go into this collection and be grouped together about topics that are actually of interest to the people that go here and come on. Now, for you guys on Zoom, Riley has some cards back there. So if you know how to use the chat and you have a question or two, just type type it in the chat. Riley will put it on a card and we'll get it up here. And they can be about anything, anything. Uh, not that I can answer anything and not that you can answer anything or everything. So uh, we have some here. Let me read the kinds of ones that we're talking about on Tuesday night. Um, one of the things that people want to review, Dan Muller. The other is, what does it mean to be born again? Uh, we have one about, we obviously receive a lot of stuff by grace, but there also seems to be some future reward that we're building to. How do those two concepts go together? That we receive things freely by grace, but that there is a reward. I thought that was a great question. Uh, um, then there's there's the ones that are we have to deal with eventually. Uh, hell, you know, what does the Bible say about it? How does it relate to judgment? Is it final? Is it eternal? Or is it temporal? And uh, what did Jesus say about it? Uh, what does the restoration of all things mean? What does a relationship with God consist of? Have any of you ever asked that question? What does a relationship with God consist of? We all talk about a relationship with God, having a relationship with God, following God, whatever. So what does it consist of? Um, a question that's that's I'd like to have more clarity on is inclusion. The concept of inclusion, what's included in inclusion. Um, we had some questions about how we interpret the Bible. In particular, it was interesting. Like, for instance, who is uh, John 14.20 written to, and what gives us the right to apply that to ourselves? thought that was kind of a cool question, you know. Uh, in other words, was he just speaking to the disciples, or is it legitimate for us to believe he was speaking to us? And um, then there's uh, some more questions about healing, about the application of it. Healing is one of the things we talked about not too long ago. You're more than welcome to uh, ask a question about that. Um, miracles. Uh, what's up with miracles? Uh, one of the questions here was, when was the last time you experienced one? Um, this is back to the relationship idea a little bit. How do we know if we are obeying God or not? That sounds like a really kind of self-explaining question, but I think that's pretty potent, actually. <laughs> how do you really know if you're obeying? You know, what are the what are the signs and so on? And then how do we hear God? Uh, we had some ascension questions. Uh, do you have to be a seer uh, to uh, have revelation? And what other ways can you interact with God in the heavens if you don't, if you're not uh, a picture person? Um, and we had a question about angels. What role do they play in our lives and how do we get more aware of them? And um, what does God want to do with us as co-creators? We're hearing that term more and more, those of us here. What does he want to do with that? What does that mean? What does that mean even? And uh, what's the relationship or the nature of the relationship that allows co-creation. So I thought that was a good question. And then uh, there's some questions about about moving forward. Um, you know, like just some detailed stuff historically and eschatologically and doctrinally. Like with considering A.D. 70 and the fall of Jerusalem, how does that impact what we've thought all our lives about prophetic future? Uh, what is how, What kind of assurance do we have that Jesus is coming back? Uh, a whole bunch of eschatological stuff would be would be good to talk about. Another question was, um, I, wa I wanted to discuss, this was one of my questions, I want to discuss allegory. Because I think it's really challenging 
uh, if you are afraid to let allegory be allegory or poetry be poetry in the scripture. But I understand that it's worth a sort of a serious look because you don't know, you know, and you certainly don't want to uh, interpret actual driving directions to the Walmart as an allegory and then uh, not get there. <laughs> you know, So uh, that's kind of one of those. Let's see what else we have. Um, there was a lot of questions about judgment. Uh, is there a kind of righteous judgment? Do we have permission to execute it? If we're executing or if we're judging somebody, is that us judging them or is it the Holy Spirit judging through us? And I thought that was pretty interesting. And then there's that question, kind of the ultimate judgment question. What about uh, where it says in Scripture, you give somebody over to Satan? <laughs> so that's probably not... If, if we if we took a, a Polaroid of everybody's thoughts about that, I bet not many of them would be the same. So that's cool. Um, what other ways, uh, other than the ones that are common to whoever the group is, are, are open to us to experience Jesus, heaven, Holy Spirit, and so on? And um, this I thought was a pretty good question. Does hell have the same or similar ability to manifest stuff on earth as heaven does? A lot of times we think dualistically about heaven and hell as opposites but similar in, in the realm of the spirit and the realm of eternity. So the question was, does hell have the same ability to manifest stuff on earth that heaven does? So that was a good question. Uh, here's one. If luck favors the prepared, is there a way we can prepare to receive revelation? And uh, we did have a, a question about how does God feel about homosexuality and how do we know how he feels about it? And... Um, then here's a, a statement. Does God hate sin? And, uh, you know, a lot of times there's all kinds of phrases that run around that. Does God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. Uh, and so Esau I hated, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So there's some, some scriptural stuff that's probably worth looking at in that way. And then uh, somebody asked, did, did Jesus create sin, or is sin even a thing? And that, I think, is a good question that I would like to talk about at some point in our future. Uh, and then the last question that I shared out of our list, and this was Tuesday's gleanings, what is an unbeliever? And then what, obviously, you'd have to have a reference point for that. So what is an unbeliever in the Bible? What is an unbeliever in God's eyes? What is an unbeliever in our eyes? So those are some of the kind of questions. So how, how are we doing? Here you want to start off with something hard or easy? Oh, easy for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, I don't care. I don't know the answer to all these questions, obviously. I mean, and I'm okay with that. But uh, one thing I have discovered is if you're honest enough to ask a question, you know, in other words, you just voice it, whether it's in your devotional life or you voice it even almost as a complaint sometimes or something along those lines, uh, before very long, God starts talking to you about it. He starts showing you stuff. I mean, how do you all think we got here from being sort of a fundamentalist Hard shell Baptist. I don't mean that derogatory. That was just what I started as way a long time ago. Uh, how do we get there? You know, you voice a question, you ask a question, you say, huh, is this really what this means? Or whatever the case is. Go ahead. That's a very good segue into this question. What beliefs have American Christians adopted that are strange, inaccurate, or just plain dumb? <laughs> uh, so d does Vicky seem like the Supreme Court justice? Kind of cool, huh? Yeah. Okay, so now here's what we got. We got a regular mic, and we've got this mic over here that uh, Laurel sang at, and Riley's got a, a a thing up. So, what I'd like to try to do is the format a little bit is is uh, if if it's the kind of thing that I can 
posit an answer for to get the thought process started, I will do so. And then uh, if you guys have a thought about the answer, so let's hold the question parts about it. But if you have a thought about the answer and want to throw your wisdom and your experience and your instincts into the mix, that'd be great. That'd be great. So um, I have short-term memory loss. The question is... What beliefs have American Christians adopted that are strange, inaccurate, or just plain dumb? Okay. Strange, inaccurate, or just plain dumb. Well, that last little phrase Cessationism. Makes it... Oh, sorry. I'm not answering them. What is, no, what did you say? <laughs> the cessationism. cessationism. I'm saying that right. <laughs> Yeah, I would say yeah. cessationism is one. You guys know, how many people here know what uh, cessationism is? It's the doctrine that the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the first century stuff that has ceased with either the death of the apostles or the canonization of the Bible. So, that no, the things yeah. we read about, the gifts of the Spirit, those sorts of things. Now, nobody purely thinks that uh, because they still, because it's mostly taught by pastor or pastor teachers, and so they still think that gifts around. But they'll throw away apostles, they'll throw away miracles, they'll throw away healing, and throw away a lot of stuff like that. Um, I think that is a. I, I think that's kind of a silly thing. I think that's a silly thing. Um, another one that I would like, uh, that I would think would be silly, but I don't really blame people because it's the influence, not just of the American culture, but it's the influence. Oh well, it's the influence of, of the whole Greek dualism and everything else, and it's the assumption that God can't look on sin. Because if God can't look on sin, and there's very ultra-thin biblical evidence that's only found in things like the, New King, or the King James Bible, but if God can't look on sin, He can't do anything. He has to walk around with His eyes covered all the time. He can't redeem us. I mean, the whole point was Jesus became sin for us. And I don't think the Father quit looking at Him, but I did see this belief makes you come up with an atonement factor where the Father has to turn away. And that's even confusing because that same atonement envisions him beating Jesus or hurling lightning bolts at him or something. And so now he's having to not look at him, but throw things at him. That doesn't make any sense. It's not an effective way of talking about atonement. So I think that's one. And um, so you got one, Ronnie? Yeah, the... um belief that God is mean. I don't think a lot of people think God's mean. I think they think that God is easily offended. I think a lot think he's mean. And that he acts mean when he's offended. You think people think he's mean? Yeah. Okay. How many people think that a lot of people think God's mean? Really? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, good. See, that's, that's wisdom. That's wisdom. Jim? Well, we've talked about it before, but sovereignty of oh. God and what that means and what it doesn't mean. And so yeah. I think I think it's a huge doctrine that Americans um, believe that God controls everything. Yeah. And I see that with believers and unbelievers. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just it's just like a, a universal thought. So that whatever happens in life, God orchestrated. God did it. God did it. Yeah. yeah. God did it. I'm reading a book right now by David Bentley Hart. You guys know I like David Bentley Hart, and he stretches me a little bit. He wrote a book um, in 2004, 2005. Actually, he wrote an article, and then he was pressed to write a small book called uh, The Gates of the Sea. Have you read it, Nancy? It's, it's his take uh, on 
where was God during the tsunami? And so I just, just got it and just started reading. I read about two or three. And, and David Billinghart's a theologian, a philosopher, and uh, I generally appreciate his take. But it, it's the same thing. It, it's where do you extract? And this is something about weird beliefs, whether it's the atonement beliefs I talked about earlier, that you know God was uh, offended and had to punish Jesus before he could release love or forgiveness for somebody else, or whether it's the sovereignty doctrine. When you encounter these, they, you encounter them in these big, complex systems. And it almost seems impossible to unravel them because you've got a whole bunch of people talking about it and they assign a couple of scriptures to it. And sometimes it seems like it's really clear. There's one that's really clear, whatever the case is. Sovereignty is not one of those. We learned that. There's hardly anything written about sovereignty in the Bible. But uh, the damage is not directly done by the bigness of the doctrine. It's what you said. It's where people see something happen, and they have this cloudy doctrine of sovereignty here, and then they assign that attribute to God, and then wherever you are, Ronnie, then they think he's mean. So you're probably right, yeah. But but it, it, it traces that way. This is one reason I like studying this stuff in the Scripture, because um, it, it can be dismantled pretty easily if you just look at it. And then eventually, so, so um, Riley, do we have any questions back-to-back yet? Okay, so... I, I got a, uh, a question about a passage of scripture, and I'm not going to, I'm trying to make a rabbit trail out of this, but 2 Corinthians, uh, first part of 2 Corinthians, it talks about uh, vindication coming for those that are oppressing the Corinthians, and it's, a, it's a, a passage that's really used about hell and judgment and eternal damnation and all that stuff. And so uh, the, the scripture came with a question, honest question, because I know who gave it to me. Um, this is really something we're going to have to look at if we change the way we think about hell. But the beauty of it is when you start just digging in and slowing down and looking at the words, uh, first of all, hell's not mentioned. And the whole interpretation of that passage of Scripture hinges on what age you're talking about and whether that age is a limited amount of time or properly translated forever. And so it's not like anything that is difficult is hard. Now, you've got to be careful, and I, I, I want you guys to know I try to be careful I don't want to go in and not give a fair look just because I have a certain thought about it. Because I think that's dangerous, you know, to read into it and say, well, by God, I believe it's this way and I'm going to make it say that. But, and I'm pretty good at not doing that. However, uh, I don't know everything. And there are some difficult passages of scripture. But to date, I have discovered that if you'll slow down, invite the Holy Spirit to sit with you, help you understand, dig into the language, uh, do a, a little bit of thinking about how the person, the author wrote it. You know, that's like the idea of propitiation in the way Paul uses it and John uses it. Um, the word family of, of hilasterion, hilasmos, is used almost 300 times in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, and all but one time, or, or three verses, it's used of the mercy seat. And so your choice is, to take a fully Greek interpretation of that word, helisterion, which is a king besieging a city, waiting to be paid off with golden virgins. Or it's the mercy seat sitting atop the ark over oh, <laughs> where God and man meet and sin is no longer an issue. Now, which sounds like Jesus to you? This is why I ask questions, because I want to know 
what I need to try to instruct the congregation of. <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's see another question. Oh, uh, any last thing on that? Any other really dumb ideas? There's plenty, but yeah, yeah. But we'll, okay. That's, that's so, so here's what we might do with that. We might make a little series of like you know three or four messages that have um, odd things. Odd things. All right. This is actually a statement, I guess, but I'm going to make it a question. Okay. Um, were there times when God visited people in hell? Okay. So here's the complexity of that answer to me. Um, yeah. Where I sit right now, not just on this stool, but in my perspective on hell, hell is one of the laziest translated words in the Bible. As a, there, there's, there's no comparable word to hell in either Hebrew or Greek. And so hell came in as a word of Dutch origin, that became prominent in our theology because of the German theologians uh, prior to the Reform. And so hell became a catchword translation for Sheol, Hades, uh, Gehenna, Tartarus, and all this kind of stuff. And then, uh, under the influence of the Latin side of the church, Dante's Inferno provided a whole bunch of pictures. It would be like one of Cecil B. DeMille's movies for the 1300, 1400, 1500, whenever he was there. And so the vividness of that kind of imagery, the resistance of the reformers to Catholic doctrines like purgatory, where people went in and got out, uh, they rallied around the word hell. And they translate five or six different words in the scripture with it. So the question is, did God ever go visit somebody in hell I would say to to that specific question, I would have to say no. All right. But did God ever go visit somebody in Hades in the grave? Absolutely. It's very clear in Scripture that he did. He visited the the men and women who were held in prison since the days of Noah. Peter's clear about that. Uh, he interacted with people that came out of their tombs. So the grave is, is definitely that situation. So my problem and my difficulty in answering the question is about hell itself as a word that's used to translate other words that have very specific other meanings, both culturally and religiously. Okay, so also to go along Anybody with else want to <laughs> step to a mic on that or... Yeah. Um, no well the, gonna... yeah, no yeah. So there's one verse, uh, Psalm 139.8, and it talks about kind of that similar thing. Um, it says, if I ascend to the heavens, you are there. And if I go and I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. Which, right. yeah, Sheol is one of those words that it a lot is, of times yeah. They, yeah. they translate as hell. Absolutely. And I, I, I just, I, I, I think it's unfortunate mm-hmm. and unnecessary. So uh, do I... So, okay, you just got to hear me. And those of you on Facebook, you just got to hear me. Do I believe in hell? No, I do not believe in the word H-E-L-L being a descriptor of what the Bible teaches about grave, death, afterlife, judgment, purification, fire, or anything else. I would prefer to use the language that the Bible uses instead of the language that was inserted by the Reformers. Okay. Okay. So um, this is um, a vision somebody had, but it kind of goes along with this whole okay. grave and death and stuff. Okay. Had a vision of individuals coming out of the grave. I've never thought about the dead being redeemed, 
But the Lord told me the dead can hear your frequency and sound and said that there are the dead that have not been redeemed. The Lord told me that he is the God of the dead and the living. And I asked the father about Hades and Sheol, Sheol, however you want to say it. What are your thoughts about this? Thank you. Did he answer that? Uh, Well, probably as good as I can. Yeah. Um, So again, the scripture clearly sets a precedent that the people who died in the flood were held in prison somewhere. And it's not super specific where the language is, you know, so a lot of people say it's under the earth or whatever the case is. But they were held there, and uh, Jesus went down there, and he preached to them. The Greek word is the uh, gelion word. It's the one that talks about preaching. So to me, uh, that is clear evidence that that the Lord has the ability and the authority to go reveal the Father, reveal himself. And so I believe that he, he can do that. Now, the question is, will he do it? And what are the conditions under which he would do it? And uh, does that mean that we just throw away any legitimate reason for living in a holy relationship with the Lord now? The answer is no. But um, so, yeah, we'll definitely study about that more. <laughs> There's a whole conference going up about Sounds it. Sounds like it. <laughs> okay. Okay, these two are very similar. Okay. Um, so... Can you discuss ways to help us refine or improve how well we hear God speak to us? And how do we confirm that we are hearing God correctly when we are making decisions, Mm -hmm. especially big decisions? Okay. Okay. Uh, How many of you have something to contribute to this answer? Okay, good. So be ready to do that in just a second. Pretty much everybody should. All right. I think the first step that I would advise anybody, and I do advise people this, is believe that he speaks to you. So I got in a little uh, row on Facebook, and uh, I think I told you guys the story. I wasn't supposed to post about it, and I did, and then the Lord was gracious to let me get out of it. Um, Jesus is really super plain. He says, my sheep will hear my voice. And so for a person, or for you, to look at yourself or somebody else and say, there's no way, I can't hear, I can't, I can't, I can't. That is unbelief in something that Jesus says literally and simply, and it doesn't require any any uh, interpretation to speak of unless you want to exclude yourself from being a sheep. And there, there's an analogy there, okay? My sheep hear my voice, period. And so I would say the first thing to do is believe that. And uh, I've had some, I, I've done some like little funny cliche things, like uh, of course God speaks because He named His Son the Word. <laughs> okay, so just the whole of the Bible is about God speaking to people. Now there are times when that voice doesn't get through, or there's certainly a time when God could choose not to speak. He's God. So I'm not saying that he's just like a talking vending machine that we punch the button and he comes, but his inclination is to speak to us. His inclination. So that means the first step is to believe that God is talking to you. That's why uh, in that first question, one of the silly things that Vicky mentioned is cessationism, that you can't hear God except unless you read the Bible. And I love the Bible, and I read it quite a lot. And I, I, I do believe, and I find I, th- I think I find almost 100% of what I believe in the Bible. 
But I do realize that at one point in my life, I, I viewed the Bible as a very narrow thing, and therefore I really limited what God could say to me through the Bible. Now I'm a little bit more open about that. You know, I, I, I allow my interpretation of Scripture to initially be bigger rather than smaller. And so uh, the first thing is, is that you believe that God speaks to you and that he speaks to other people. The second thing is that you somehow pattern your life to capture what he says. So for me, a lot of that is me journaling. And I, I have a journal somewhere. It's in the other room. But I have a journal. You guys saw it last week. And I just, I try to sit down and have that with the Lord. Now, I've gotten in, in times in my life where I was like stuck, and that was the only place I could hear him. So I, I've had to back out of that and, and uh, you know, walk around and talk and read the Bible and talk and all this kind of stuff. But just generally speaking, if you have an opportunity to to put faith into action so that you can capture and record his words. And, you know, the scripture talks about not letting the words fall to the ground and not so stuff like that. Remember this, make a memorial, all this kind of stuff. So that could be journaling. It could be a dictaphone type of situation. A dictaphone, that's like aging me. Uh, <laughs> could just be your regular old phone now, you know. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. Capture it some way. So, uh, and, and then the other thing is, is, how do we how do we make decisions with confidence that we've heard the Lord? Um, the truth is the Bible doesn't always present enough detail to confirm a decision about a particular thing in our culture. So like I, I had a, an encounter like this about a month ago. Where um, Jim Jones, back around TV, he sent me a Elijah List post, and it had an opportunity that turned out to be an invitation to some training. And uh, I was really praying about it, and it was it was a challenge. And I, I quit uh, thinking about it for a minute, went and took a shower, and then I opened it up again. And I kept listening and kept asking the Lord, Lord, what about this? What about this? Now. I've learned in my life that if I try to press God for an answer because I'm anxious about getting that answer, I have a tendency to hear my own voice in response. And that, even if I'm hearing the Lord, because it, it still comes a lot of times out of my own heart and my own voice, then that diminishes the confidence I have later that I've heard the Lord. So for whatever reason, the Lord didn't say anything. But I felt just strongly, emotionally driven, okay, I've got to do this. And it was contrary to what I would normally do. I did it. And then I expected after I did it to hear, oh, feel that release. Well, I didn't. I was okay, but I, I didn't get anything special. So I just ended up going to bed. Next day I'm driving to work, and I wasn't thinking about it at all. And in the middle of the car, the Lord broke in and said, Larry, I'm so proud of you doing for that. For, for you doing that, I know it took courage. Now, what's interesting, this is the first time that type things ever happened to me where there was that after-the-fact affirmation in that precise way. What has happened in the month intervening is that I have had no doubt. So it was kind of a cool thing that the Lord instructed me in. You go ahead and do what you think's right, and I'm going to follow up. And in the follow-up, because I wasn't begging for confirmation, he just gave it to me. It has really been very strategically wonderful. And so that all goes back, though, to honestly believing that God cares about you and that he speaks, and that he won't remain silent arbitrarily for no reason.
Anybody um, else want to add? Yeah, to? I, I do. Okay. Uh, one of the things that, that I've learned over the years is to actually kind of recite and go back to the times when I've heard the Lord and wh- what that felt like, what that looked like, how I like physically felt about it. And then, um, and in the doing of it, feeling the partnership with him. And so when something is, it, it, all of you know, I do not like change. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big thing. I was in the military, so we changed, moved all the time. I just don't like it. And uh, my life has been a constant change. <laughs> she married me. I married him. And, um, <laughs> and it's a reality, you know. But, but when I am asking the Lord about something, if I, if I feel like I'm not hearing him, I just go back and recite the times when I did. And then I just wait on the Lord. It's okay to wait on the Lord. And then when he speaks, you know, just, just go, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do it. And you can do it with a rah-rah spirit. You can do it sometimes like I do, which is sort of like a, a great, you're really gonna make me do this. Um, but I think if we go back and we remember, you know, like, the stones of remembrance, those kind of things are in the Bible for a reason. It's, it's just the ability to go back and go, oh gosh, that's when you spoke to me. You're, you're doing that again in me. You're showing me this. You're, you're bringing this kind of stuff to me. And I, and I, I just think it just is a good place to help. Sterling. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting is that some people feel like they have to have an instant answer. answer. So I like what mm-hmm. you said about the Wait. waiting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I also, if it's a really big decision, I want to talk to the people around me, the people that influence me the most, the people that know my life and can speak into a situation. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not sure, then typically those people will either confirm for or against that specific thing that I'm not quite sure about. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, like you were talking about, Larry, with the uh, Dan Moeller CD mm-hmm. and then suddenly having – I almost always, when I have a really big question like that, I'll have a series of completely mm-hmm. random things that are totally unrelated Speak that to happen it. mm-hmm. where it's just so obvious. There's no question. I don't doubt anymore at all. Mm-hmm. But in those situations where I do doubt, I find the people that I trust most and I ask them. And and I feel really good about it in the end, making that final decision. So. Let me let me just throw a couple things out there too. Um, you know, uh, there's what safety in many counselors. Scripture talks yeah. about that, so that's a biblical affirmation of that. And we live in a we community in the kingdom much much more than we recognize as Americans, because as Americans we we are very uh, individualistic. Uh, we may get married and be close to our spouse, but. We don't know our neighbors the way most places do. And so the individualism that we battle in our culture is a challenge because God deals with us as a body, as a, as a unique. He knows us as individuals. He'll speak to us individually. But there's a, a tremendous value in just opening your heart and mind up to the we aspect. Who do you belong with? Who do you belong to? And there's a strength and a, a power in that. Jen. The Bible says he leads us forth in peace. So I think that's a huge thing to tune into. And then the more that I've got to know the nature of God is good all the time, then I'm able to dismiss a lot of old junk that yeah. was whether accusatory yeah. or fear-based or something's driving me to do something that's 
I don't want to do, or you know, mm -hmm. and I'm saying it, it's it, it's just different. It's peace, and I I think now I don't have the same kind of like fear, like oh no, what if what if I what miss if it? Wrong, oh no, yeah. what if I make a mistake? Because I know it's really good. Even if I did, in His loving nature, He's gonna corral me back to wherever. It's not just such a tightrope. Uh, and I do think the the psalm, I believe it's in Psalms, about uh, giving you the desires of your heart. Mm -hmm. um, he's, he's put things in us that makes us uniquely us, you know, mm -hmm. that, you know, Vicki has different desires than I do than Richard does. It's just part of our makeup. Yeah. So what's exciting for me is not so much for him or what have you. So I don't think we roll that out. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, sometimes there's just the delight of that, and it's not always a, oh, did God tell me to do it or not do it? Sometimes I just don't think it matters okay. as yeah. much as weight as we put on it. That's like, why I wanted to change go that enjoy that. <laughs> about, about doing not necessarily being the end of my simplest form of Christianity. Because it's not just hear the Lord and do it. It's hear the Lord and believe it. It's hear the Lord and interact with it and speak with it. Uh, I, I had a little thing come to mind, too. The context of how you believe God is is going to make it harder or easier to hear his voice. So I, I don't know why I was thinking, but when you were talking, Jen, I envisioned a little a little kid who who thought his mom was too harsh, right? So he is outside his house in the porch. they got a little farm type thing. And he's hiding in the bush on the other side of the thing. And so his mom is yelling for him, calling for him, because she thinks he's out there. Well, if his context is all wrapped up in the fact that my mom yells at me all the time, <laughs> when in fact all she was doing was trying to make her voice heard because she thought he was across the creek on the other side, he's going to have a totally different thing. And there's going to have to be some sort of revelation. So the expectation that God is good and the expectation that God is not as concerned about particular outcomes as he is about relationships. It's monstrous, and it, it really helps you listen. It helps you listen. And if you're afraid, uh, if initially your fear comes on you because you're afraid you're going to produce uh, an inadequate outcome, you're not really having a relationship. And I think Jesus addressed that when he said, I no longer call you servants because servants are outcome-based relationships. I call you friends. And then he defined it by saying, a friend reveals what, what he, and knows what he's doing. So... Yes, Richard. Um, with a serious uh, decision, and you're married, bounce it off your spouse. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, and, yeah, because uh, yeah. that'll that'll confirm it right there. And uh, just an example, moving here um, was I f knew that this is what God wanted us to do. Jen didn't know that that's what God wanted us to do. So I just said, okay, God, change your mind. And she did. Or he did. She, he, whoever. And There's probably a question in there about that. She, he, thing. Yeah. we'll get to that later. Yeah, 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 really. See, and, and, and what, one thing that's illustrated by the truth of that is that life's probably not as, as urgent as we think. You know, in other words, we, we put a moment-by-moment -moment urgency, and if I miss the opportunity to say yes to God in, in 30 seconds, I won't have that opportunity again in a month. But that's because we think that God gets displeased with us when we don't act in obedience, and then he's rendered a judgment against us, he separates himself, and it's this whole situation that doesn't exist that leads us into thinking that way. And I've come across people that 
have to know God's will on every little detail. And I'm going, well, what's your desire? Because that's his desire. And so those are things that, I mean, if it's, if it's your, if these are something you, you desire doing, he enjoys doing that with you. Yeah. And so just do it. Yeah. And, and yeah. don't let it uh, be a big issue. Yeah. You know, and doing things with God, having that concept, uh, uh, I remember one time, uh, we were up there at the church and I said, how many of you can quote the Great Commission to me? A whole bunch of people started and then one of them said on the floor, uh, you know, like, go and make disciples of all nations, uh, da, da, da. And they quoted it all the way up to the point and then didn't say it, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's the absence of, of, of a context where the Lord, our relationship with him is defined as a with and in relationship. Once you get that, then all of a sudden, it, it's not trying to just, oh my gosh, I've got to do the right thing. Let's do something together. And I think, uh, I noticed you, you perked up, Nancy, when I uh, read the question here about co-creating. That's what I want to learn about co-creating. Is, is Co-creating is not creating for. It has to be creating with. And if we keep trying to create for or live for or serve for or do something like that, uh, it, it creates a, an opening for vulnerability with works and stuff like that. Did you have one more thing, Richard? Well, just one more thing. Um, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Yeah. Because he can straighten it out yeah. in a wink. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've made a decision. I go, oh, God, that was a bad decision. And it turns out that I was able to get out of it or whatever the sure, case may be. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, the Lord did that easy for me, I'm, I, you know, with no serious consequences when I just directly disobeyed him. I did it because I kind of got inflamed in my passions when I read the tweet or I read that, that Facebook post. But let me add something to Richard, and this could sound like, like, what? Solomon was made king in David's line as a part of the promise to David that... Uh, Jesus would eventually, from his line, sit on the throne. That's pretty significant, right? Now, the way that story started is David saw Bathsheba naked, bathing, used his kingly authority to bring her up there, knocked her up, and then had her husband murdered to cover it. After he tried to get him to go sleep with him so he could push the whole thing off. And when he didn't, for honor's sake, and I'm, I'm using somewhat crude language to say, you know, so Richard just said, don't be afraid to make a mistake. That was way beyond a mistake. But the purposes of God in David's life and the identity that God saw in and created in David and spoke out of David, that he's a man after his own heart, he's an apple of his eye. Yeah, no, I agree. Don't string 20 of them together. But what I'm saying, and what we need to understand is that God is in the business He's not shocked by the vulnerability of the people he chose to populate and people the earth. He, he, he knew from the beginning. Okay. Uh, on this topic, Ronnie? Yeah. Yeah. Richard said something that I think is very important and I agree with, but for a long time I didn't. Mm -hmm. And that was, what do you want? What is your desire? Right. If you're not sure what God's directing you to do. And I think it's pretty darn impossible to believe that your desires are okay if you believe that your heart 
is evil. Yeah, that was one of the reasons we talked about heart at the beginning. We have to change the way we think about our heart. Does our heart have the capacity to hold and manifest darkness? Absolutely. But our heart is built to house Jesus. And so if I have a, a, a darkness that's this big in my heart, and Jesus, the light of the world, the King of kings, Lord of lords, the creator of all, moves in and lives there, which is going to give way to who? That darkness cannot stand. Amen. That's the truth. Amen. So we don't need to befriend it. We don't need to give it quarter. But we certainly do not need to invest it with divine power. Yes, sir. So I like what Richard said about um, some people, They it's like they can't even breathe a breath unless they confirm that God thinks it's okay. <laughs> I can't confirm this, but I really do believe that God just doesn't really care about certain stuff. Okay. (laughs) All right. Okay, these two kind of go together. Okay. And um, it has to do with, um, well, let me just read them. Okay, according to scripture and or tradition or belief, when do we receive our heavenly bodies? At death, um, physical to spiritual, or after the tribulation. And then the other one is, when people die, do they become angels? Okay. Uh, If you're not an angel before you die, your personality doesn't automatically change. (laughs) That's not what that question's asking, though, is it? No, you don't become angels. Angels are of another created order. uh, You're a people. Uh, when do we get our, our body, hmm. our spiritual body? I would say at the resurrection. That's what I think. And uh, so that, that doesn't mean that I have 100% knowledge, and I don't claim to, on what our corporeal state is uh, between death and resurrection. But it seems to me that the resurrection is, a, is consistently upheld in Scripture as a big deal. And because of that, it seems to me that something of the reassembly of our capacity to be in heaven and to live eternally, functionally, is dependent upon the resurrection. So I would say that if we're talking about a spiritual body that's not uh, kind of a naive spirit floating in the air kind of thought about heaven, which I don't think is true, then the kind of body that you're going to get when you can go in and out of the gate of the city and when you can do all that kind of stuff, it's going to be coming at resurrection. Any other thoughts on that? I might be wrong. So then who is the cloud of witness? Says. Go ahead. (laughs) I I just, so, that today you'll be with me in paradise. What do you think? That statement okay. means, and then what kind of condition is that okay. person? Who's... So this question asks about a spiritual body. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that the uh, spiritual essence or the identity of somebody goes away in between uh, death and resurrection. Now, some people dealt with that issue about soul sleep, and I don't know how Martin Luther actually dealt with the question of today you'll be with me in paradise. But there seems to be enough uh, illustration and stuff that there's still identity available even without a spiritual body. So uh, my, my answer was about the spiritual body aspect of it. Uh, Paul also says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, there was distinct personalities that had distinct physical 
issues that led to their death, uh, a la martyrdom, that are talked about where they're saying, oh Lord, how long? And so they retained something of the identity they had on earth. And so uh, I think that, that we'll be known. And then I know it was just a parable about the rich man and Lazarus, but people's identities were still retained in that parable. And uh, so I'm looking forward, though. I'm banking on the resurrection. Okay, and then again, we have two more that are pretty similar. Um, this is, um, they want to know if this one is a common misconception. God helps those who helps them help themselves. And the other one is, how can we help God help out others? So it's like the yeah, yeah, back the end of both of things. Yeah. Uh, God helps those who help themselves. Uh, you know, I would say that's like an 80-20 proposition. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being diligent about something. I think obedience translates into being helpful to yourself. If the Lord says do something or believe something, I think it's good for us to do that. But it's not a scripture. No, it isn't a scripture. It's not a scripture. But what I hate is, is, is coming against a concept that has uh, a seed of truth in it that we should be nurturing, which is... Uh, I'm going to sit here and ask for money and not get a job. Yeah, exactly. And that's the opposite of that kind of thing. So I understand the reaction to it. Just like I understand like cessationist reactions to stuff because there's, there's the chance of being wrong. There's a chance of being deceived. So somebody figured out back during the Reformation, well, if all we do is take what the Bible actually says in theory, I understand what they're trying to say because the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible and it's a revelation of Jesus and so on. But the truth of the matter is that puts you in charge of the revelation. Your interpretation becomes the defining factor. And so the trouble I have with that kind of Reformed theology and Sola Scriptura in the way it's interpreted is I, I, I would venture to say I personally find more in the Scripture of the hand and voice of the Lord than somebody who's afraid to do anything except interpret it in the safest possible way. And, and to me, on my side, it seems logical that, that I'm closer to the truth because here's what, here's what the task was that led to the Bible. An infinite God revealing himself to a finite people. And so he has to have a malleable finite but connected infinite vehicle to reveal himself. Does that make sense? So I'm not trying to throw out the discipline of good exegesis and interpretation of Scripture, but what I'm saying is it, it, it just can't be the way it works that an infinite God uses finite language and he never uses the Scripture for what its primary simplistic meaning. It's not like, and I, about three times tonight I've thought about that one where you were deciding whether to move from Houston or whatever the case, and the Lord said, get out of town, you know, or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now, is that, what that, is that what the prophet meant, wherever that was? Was that directed specifically at Jen, that it was okay to move out of Houston? No. And did God use it? Yes. And were a bunch of angels sitting around scratching their head or laughing? Yeah, probably. Okay, probably. So anyway, so, so yes, the idea of God helps those who help themselves, uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater on that, but it isn't Scripture, and it isn't. What was the second half? The other one is, 
how can we help God help others? Oh, make yourself available. Condition yourself to listen and believe and do. That's, that's it. Just make yourself available. Probably more than that, but read your Bible. Like, it's silly not to read the Bible. Because you, you're denying the Lord language. So read the Bible. And then just, just kind of do. Yeah, Nolan. Um, yeah, to add on to that, um, so one thing that God has really put on my heart, you know, is to look into spiritual government also. And, you know, he's given each one of us uh, like a mountain of authority, those people that are close to us, our friends and our family and things like that. And, you know, not only do we have a, a physical interaction with them, but it's also, you know, we have a spiritual interaction of, you know, we can expand our spirit and, and encompass them in, in love and in freedom and so many things like that. And I've just seen a, a huge effect in my life. Like, I feel like God, uh, well, it's a long story, you know, but I feel like God put a lot of people in my life that really, you know, need the spiritual influence. And and he just, you know, kept putting it on my heart, like, I've got to do something. And and so, yeah, I, you know, I've been engaging in heaven every day over my friends and my mm-hmm. family. And it's just been amazing, you know, to see the response, yeah, that, that God has brought. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. And, uh, you, you know, the phrase you just mentioned, engaging in heaven, a lot of us in this room have uh, some, some conversation, some conversant, some, uh, some ease with the idea now of ascending or uh, going up to heaven, coming up, whatever. Uh, at various times in, in our lives, new revelation came in the form of prophecy or came in the form of interpreting scripture, whatever. I think it's that kind of progressive thing. Just, just make yourself available. When the Lord opens your heart to something, go on. And, and one of the ways that makes it easier to do that is to believe that God is good. And to believe that when Jesus said, if you, you know, uh, being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give a spirit to them that live? That, uh, if, if, if a child asks his dad for a loaf of bread, he's not going to give him a stone. And if he asks him for spaghetti noodles, he's not going to give him a scorpion or whatever. You know, God's good. God's good. And we're not on the verge of being wholesale deceived across the earth. We're just not. If we were, the proceedings that went on this week would have been, <laughs> would have, would have had demons crawling out of everybody's ears because, because there was, there was so many different versions of the truth and all this kind of stuff. I don't fully know how to process all that, but I do know this. I know that there's not nearly as much force-oriented deception where, where spirits from the kingdom of darkness just steal a person's truth in life. I'm not afraid of that very much. Now, I might be naive. I do believe in spiritual warfare. But I'm not afraid that, that there's this little razor edge I'm going to walk on in the least little misstep or that I'm going to embrace some new goal in my life in Jesus, and that paints some giant target that has got a 100,000 homing rockets from the end. I, I just reject that anymore because they're not God. God's God. And God's went one. And now we're catching up and being caught up into that victory. And that changes everything. Because the truth of the matter is, I have more authority than them. Now, I don't use it very well, and I don't recognize it all the time. But in fact, that is the, the case. I have more authority. 
even if I'm completely ignorant of it, they can trick me into surrendering my confidence and peace, but they can't just bowl over me like a bulldozer, I don't think. And I know that's a little risky to teach, but I think it's the truth. All right, we, uh, it's 8.10, we'll do one more. Oh, You guys are great. Is that a long one? Uh, I'll well, answer it really no, I fast. Think, I think we can do all three if, oh, okay. if you give us Oh, we've got three? All right, I'll, I'll talk it's fast. It's really 8.07. Okay. Oh, good. It is okay. Good. That clock's wrong. Very, very carefully. What does it mean when God says, vengeance is mine? It means that vengeance is him. Is him. It's him. <laughs> it's him. <laughs> it means that vengeance is his. Vengeance is probably not a legitimate motive for his children against his other children. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. Okay. So that means we can leave vengeance to God. Yeah. Absolutely. Doesn't mean there's no vengeance. Doesn't mean there's no equity, no justice, anything like that. It just it probably means what it says. Okay, this one is is anything required of us to experience supernatural manifestations casually? Is anything required of us to experience supernatural manifestation? Casually. So I'm guessing that, that, that sort of the picture in the, in the mind behind that question like that is that uh, supernatural manifestations happen in your life in the course of a natural life. It's, it's not like you've got to carve out a special prayer meeting to have them happen or you've got to carve out a special thing like that. Is there anything... Okay, read it again. Is anything required of us to experience supernatural manifestation casually? Uh, I would say believing that God, that our relationship with God is real and it's interactive. And almost any time you, okay, so like the idea of co-creating, almost any time you co-create with an infinite creator, Stuff's going to happen that's beyond you, and so it's supernatural. Uh, if I sit down in my journal in the morning, and I have a little glass of wine and some crackers, I have come to, I have positioned myself to have a supernatural thing happen. And I believe it now, because it's happened a bunch of times. And that doesn't mean I can't get distracted like I'm some little ADD four-year-old in the middle with a phone or a political thing or something. But... And, and I don't even know how God has patience for that, to tell you the truth, because I wouldn't if I was trying to disciple somebody. But nevertheless, that's the truth about me. Uh, but, but fundamentally, I believe that he is good and that he is my father, that he speaks to me, that Jesus is my friend, that the Holy Spirit is with me and in me, and that he, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to be doing what she was commissioned to do. And I put myself in that position. Holy Spirit? She... Richard. God loves us. Yeah. And so I can tell you, I was uh, picking up my motorcycle uh, last year, and um, a storm was coming, and I knew it was coming, and it was going to be a bad one. And so I'm in the springs. I go to go to Woodland Park. And before I even get out of town, it just comes down. And so I duck into a uh, one of those self-serve car washes, mm-hmm. and I'm freezing my butt off. All I have You're on, on your bike. My motorcycle, and all I've got on is a T-shirt, and the wind—I mean, it was warm when I went down, and now the now it's black, it's pouring rain, it is freezing, and I'm like this, 
Some guy pulls up, and I'm, I go, what the heck is this guy doing? And he rolls down his window and shoves out a sweatshirt to me. <laughs> That's, what is that? Supernatural, yeah, that? man. Yeah, what is that? You know, that does, that does uh, add one more dimension to answering this question. If you insist that uh, if something is to be viewed as supernatural, it has to be hurtled out of heaven, riding a lightning bolt, and I'll just can't, then you probably aren't going to recognize most of the supernatural things that happen in your life. But if you can, if you can get, be grateful and give God glory for that, because that, the odds of that happening aren't very high. I mean, I'm, yeah. They haven't even seen me yet. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay, and this will be the last one. Okay. Bible scholars say that creation is 6,000 years old. Yet the farthest star is dated at five billion light years from Earth. How do we reconcile that? Well, when I was younger, I used to reconcile it, and it was pretty cool, uh, I thought. It made me feel cool. I reconciled it by the fact that God not only created the star, but he created the light that was between here and there at the same time. So when I first got a telescope, I was in my 20s, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And I remember looking at the Andromeda Galaxy, and I got so theologically excited because I said, the photons that are hitting my eyes are ones that actually came from the voice of the Lord. Now, that might be true. I don't know. And that was pretty cool. Um, Bible scholars is an interesting term to <laughs> precede that question with. Um, I don't think that the translate okay let me let me step in another place i mentioned earlier that discussion about hell and judgment at some point has to revolve around the interpretation of the family of of words aeon aeonios aeonios aeon aeonios whatever and so if you are a bible scholar who tries to force every rendering of that word to mean eternal First of all, you have to do some damage to the Scripture because there's a lot of things that are called ages past. Well, that's not eternal, obviously, because it was back then. <laughs> and then, So there's a lot of limitations. Same thing goes with the Hebrew word, and I'm not at all a Hebrew scholar, but the concept of the yom that, that separates those things out. Uh, I remember when I was talking to you guys about the Bible, every Scripture requires interpretation. All right, so what is a yom? What is, what is that that's translated day in the English Bible? Um, what are times? What are seasons? What are aeons? What are ages? I, uh, I don't feel like the Scripture is in threat of being invalidated if yoms are longer than 24 hours. And I know people are trying to defend and create a distinctive so that we can stand up against all the speculations of science and stuff. But I really, I don't really think that's effective. So uh, I'm okay with somebody believing and defending a six-day creation. It doesn't really bother me. Um, I've had to get nervous. I was in an a online Bible study with an old gentleman that was pressing home his belief that that the literalness of Adam and Eve as two naked people in the garden um, wasn't the point of the story. So 
we're all on a curve, and I'm way past where I was, but I'm not way up here. And so uh, sometimes I like to go back to my interpretation that, wow, these photons are actually directly from the mouth of God. And that might be true. That might be true. I mean, I think I don't think uh, that it's impossible for God to create oil. You know, so maybe it didn't all come from dinosaurs. I don't know. But that's not the point of the Bible, by the way. The point of the Bible is the revelation of the redemptive plan of the Father through the Son and the Spirit. And when we try to turn it into uh, a history and a science book, we put a lot of pressure on it that we aren't capable of interpreting. Now, do I think the Bible accurately reveals history? Yes, a lot. Do I think it has uh, insights into science? A bunch of them that we don't understand. But to, to, to try to make the Bible fit our ability to do all that interpretation, that I think puts it in, in trouble. I'm not quite sure how you, when you answered it, if you felt like it was 6,000 years or 15 billion. Yeah. But regardless, if you felt like it was 6,000, are we, um, do we see more stars today? Than we did six thousand years ago because of the light coming. Yeah, I don't know. But then, fifteen billion years takes that light. Fifteen billion light years it takes for that light to come and hit our. So there's got to be. Yeah. Here's the other factor that I don't. I'm not good enough at math about. Uh, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. <laughs> That's a slam. So that that to me, either is sort of the little secret key of the universe to interpret all the biblical timelines, or it's not. <coughs> and, 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 and I think there's probably both. Here's what I think. I think that some of this stuff has to be seen as allegory, because we have no way of verifying it otherwise. And I think that when we, a bunch of the stuff that we interpret as allegory that the Lord is more than willing to, com- to uh, accommodate us and communicate with us on, I think when we actually see it face to face in the end, we're going to go, oh my gosh, he was literal. But I just don't know how to separate them all out right now. And I do think there's a mystery. Yeah. And yeah. we're not going to solve them all. We had a <laughs> big fight at the last time we had a oh. conference with Harold Everly, and it was over some things like that. And this was one of the exact things that was on the board. Uh, the Bible says 6,000 years, science says 15 billion years. How do we reconcile those two things? And uh, I don't really know the answer. But I'm not as anxious about it as I used to be. Leticia? Just one last thing to say. Um, we, in the age to come, we're going to hear so many things, so many things that we don't know, and then sometimes our heart doesn't resonate with. It doesn't mean the person who's sharing is wrong. It doesn't mean that is right. It means that we have to listen and take it to God yeah. and hear our own, ex- our, our, our own experience with him. So, um, regards about Bible, um, the Bible, it's a book, and when the Bible says the Word of God is a, it's a sword or fire, it's talking, of, it's talking about the, the Word of God, and the Word of God is more than the, 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 the book. The Word of God is what He speaks, and He keeps saying and saying and saying, and just like Pastor Larry says, there's many things that they're not in the Bible. So we definitely, the Bible is definitely to, it's, 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 it's full of, 
people that have experience with God, that we must have our own experience with God, right? So the Bible is to read it, to interpret it, but also to engage with, to see the Bible, to Mm -hmm. see the Word. Because who's the Word? The Word is Jesus. He's the living Word. So for us to be to make our book the living word of God, we have to see the word. We have to see it. We have to engage with. God is calling us in this new new age to engage with heaven. Engage with because in heaven everything has life. Flowers, water, uh there's all kind of light angel, I mean light beings. So we need to engage and we need to engage the word of God as well. Mm-hmm. For me, Psalms 23, it's awesome. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a part of the book that I use to engage God. The, it says that he's my pastor and I really enter my garden and he's pastoring me in there. And it says they has a river and I've been swimming in the river, you know, playing with the water. It says that he made me rest in, in this beautiful grass and I do it. Mm-hmm. So, we need to learn also how to engage the living worth because as Jesus himself. I just wanted to share that. Amen. So let me follow up with one point on that. And, and <coughs> one place in Scripture that Jesus addresses this issue kind of directly is he te- talks to the Pharisees and he responds to their issues and he says, you search the Scripture thinking that in them you find life and they are that which testify of me, but you refuse to come to me and get the details. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you refuse to come to me and get life. So just what you said, the object of the scriptures is life in Christ before the Father in the Spirit. And so that's why I'm okay taking some liberties saying, I don't know how to actually parse out 6,000 years versus this. But if I can approach that question as one which reveals something of Jesus in in the redemptive plan of God and then go to him, and get life out of it, that scripture or the telling of the story of Adam and Eve or various things, they've done their function. They've done their purpose. Um, that's a tough question to answer and take a position on because I'm not trying to disregard the inspiration and the detailed inspiration of the scripture. But um, literalism doesn't get you there either. So, Nancy? I, w- I just want to make three comments. Number one is the comment about eons, because there is a translation that regards uh, everlasting hell, mm-hmm. and the word that is used there is eonius, mm-hmm. which does not mean eternal. Right. It means until the end of the age. That's right. So if we're now entering an age which I believe is a thousand years, <laughs> that means there's going to be an end to death, hell, yeah. and the grave. People always come and say, well, what do you do with all of those beings that are cast into the lake of fire? And my response to them is, who is the all-consuming fire? Uh, the second thing that I would like to, this is just, I'm just interjecting sure, sure. some thoughts for people. In the realms of the spirit, there's no such thing as time, no such thing as space or distance, because Jesus is not confined to time. Uh, because he doesn't live in time. Rather, time lives in him. And if he lives in us, 
Neither are we confined by time or space or distance because he said, I'm going in advance, I'm opening a door, I'm preparing a place for you that wherever I am, past, present, or future, you may also be. So this is just an idea that I would like to interject about how to settle the idea between 6,000 years or 6 billion years Mm -hmm. is in Genesis chapter 1, it says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Mm -hmm. When you're released from time and you go all the way back, you'll find that this creation is not the first creation. The earth was created several times before. That's why it says these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. So in the very beginning when it says that um, the earth was in darkness, that it was without form and void, that the Spirit of the Lord brooded over the waters to bring forth life out of darkness. So the issue is when you go back in time and you begin to recognize this is not the first creation. Since the very beginning of all beginnings, he has been building something. And the thing, I love his name, the great architecton, because the thing that he's building is the perfect creative counterpart for himself, which goes into Mm co-creating. Because, see, we were with him, in him, when this earth was created. That's why the word says he knew us and called us by name before we were ever formed in our mother's womb, because we were in him when this earth was created. So the issue then is who created and how that comes down to the next creation, which is coming. And so we're co-creating together with him. And not only that, which is to bring down heaven to manifest in the earthly realm, but the second thing that we don't understand about the power of life and death in our tongue is that we, out of our own words, create our own realities because our words have the power of life and death inside of them. So I just wanted to interject, because if you can go back in time and see the previous creations, it eliminates all confusion about thousand-year days, and mm-hmm. this is the seventh day, and uh, how how is it possible that science can prove that there were pre-created beings or pre-Adamic creatures they were all over the earth, but that doesn't invalidate the the word of the Lord in Genesis. Also, Genesis, uh, because I was uh, so, I just wanted to know so much about the creation, and the Lord laughed at me one time, and he said, out of 2,827 chapters in the Bible, I only use three of them to talk about creation. It's not about creation. It's about the establishing of unity in the spirit and relationship with him and his body. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want to say, and I promise I'm not going to preach, is we, um, in Romans chapter 8, it says, All creation is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of the living God, which we are. And not only they are groaning, we ourselves are groaning within ourselves for what? Redemption of the body. So is that this body? Or is that this body? Or is that this body? And the answer is yes. Sure. 
that's cool. <laughs> Can I say something? Yeah, that's fun. Did you guys like this? Okay, so probably on the fifth Fridays, we're going to be doing something similar to this. And what we'll do is we will we'll actually give you a week ahead of time to write your questions. Because I know it was hard to take the time tonight to write them out. So um, this is something that we had talked about almost like six months ago. And um, so if you enjoyed it, you know, just seriously over the next couple of months, um, be sure to jot down your yeah. questions and, and then if you'll you didn't have enjoy them. it you'll know ahead of time and you can remove yeah, it yeah and then if you didn't you know you don't have to show up <laughs> uh we won't have a fifth friday no, figure i'm no, pretty certain of that we won't we won't i'm that. not sure when the next one will be so uh one thing i try to send you home to think about think about the easiest or, or think about the question that either from me or from others was the easiest answer for you to receive and then think about the, the question or the answer that was the most difficult one for you to receive and ask the Lord if there's a connection in those things. So for, and here's what I mean by that. So for instance, um, the fundamental shift of thinking about God as being for us and good and with us opened up a lot of scriptures to, a, to, to, to have less anxiety, less confusion. So big concepts help, help position us to receive revelation. One of the questions we had is, how do we position ourselves to receive revelation? If you settle in your mind some of the big concepts about the goodness of God, then it's not that hard to believe differently about sovereignty. If you don't try to tackle the big question about the goodness of God, then you're constantly going, yeah, but what about? Yeah, but what about? Yeah, but what about? Same thing goes with anything. It goes with time. It goes with uh, um, creation. It goes with eschatology. Like the narrowness of eschatology uh, last things, you know, the rapture uh, or not, this or not, that or not. The narrowness of that is astounding to me because nothing else in our lives as believers do we pretend to have the kind of certainty we have about next month, much less uh, how the whole world's going to wrap up. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a false sense of security. And it's because we're, we're counting on our interpretation of the stuff way out there as opposed to our relationship with God right now. If you, if you have a relationship with God right now and it consists of that friendship, and that, that's, why we, that's when we get okay asking questions and looking at Scripture and doing stuff. So, Father, this was fun. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Lord, obviously if there was anything that I said that was just like super bogus, that you would just wipe that from the film and wipe it from the video and wipe it from the minds of everybody. But Lord, we, uh, we love you and we thank you that you love us and that you are trustworthy beyond all that we can know. So we give ourselves to you and to the, to the process of, of loving you and thinking you and hearing your voice and believing it and then doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. And being it, amen. That's fun, guys. Thank you.